Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Now a show that's going to give you the truth about the biggest epidemic of our times. We're all a little crazy. Welcome to another We're All a Little Crazy podcast. I'm Darren Ravel alongside Eric Hewson. Uh, we do not have Theo Fleury, but we have two amazing guests tonight. Um, Eric and I were talking about Olivia Podmore, uh, the cyclist who based on uh, she died at the age of 24 and based on everything surrounding uh, the messages of mental health and leading up to that, uh, it was believed that um, it was a suicide. Um, They are now investigating everything that went on behind it from a mental health standpoint. Um, but that really got us talking about what can what, what can we do next? And, you know, current events are kind of kind of driving us here where we like to react to something that has happened and then go deeper than anyone does, because that's what we do. And this is what this show is for. Um, so, Eric, take me from when we started discussing and texting about Olivia Podmore to how we get to tonight and tonight's guests. Yeah, there's a there's a big setup to this, and and I you know given that in advance because there's a lot of important information to share. Um, you know, we we've discussed a lot on the show how the media shrouds in secrecy these stories when they come out, and we don't really find out was it a suicide, was it not, and you hear these terms like no foul play. There's so like Darren a twelve hour sure. period on on all these stories where Eric and I just send things back, and we you know we hope. Uh, that it's not. And then, you know, sometimes it's uh, uh, what happens to the people around them and what their wishes are. But there are there is kind of like a mad lib to all of this, unfortunately. Who 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 would it possibly bring joy to to have to deliver news that a death was related to suicide? Right. But that the reason why we bring these topics up and we and we discuss them almost in real time as they're happening without projecting too much is because if we don't then hear about the details of what happened until three, four months later and it's out of the news cycle, it doesn't get discussed and we don't learn anything from it. And so when Darren and I got together, you know, it, it, the, the, the Podmore story was off the heels of Naomi Osaka pulling out of the French Open and Simone Biles pulling out of the Olympics. And obviously you have the back context of Dak Prescott off the heels of the Kevin Loves, the Michael Phelps of the world, the... Um, you know, the, the DeMar DeRozans, all these stories happening in the sports world. And I said, Darren, we've got to say something here about how athletes are more in the news cycle than anyone because of how frequently their events happen and how big their platforms are. But the issue is not an athlete issue. The athletes help us tell the story of what's happening in society. And so Darren put this tweet out, with so many stories of athlete mental health emerging, We need to understand that this isn't an athlete mental health issue specifically. It's a societal issue that's being highlighted by athletes. We need to work, right? And what I noticed from Olivia's friend, a guy by the name of Eric Murray, who is an Olympic rower, was an Olympic rower for New Zealand, is he said something that we hear with suicides all the time. He said, I wish she had said something. He was with her, you know, the 72 hours prior to, he said, We've lost a sister, a friend, and a fighter um, who lost the fight uh, uh, inside of her. Uh, I was I was the last person to see her alive. If you had seen her in the last 72 hours, you wouldn't have thought this could happen. And as I'm looking at both guests who I'm going to introduce in a little bit, how often we hear that, you never would have thought not them, right? Which, which pains me when we hear that because it, it makes me understand how important discussing the topic of suicide, discussing the topic of the buildup of stress and trauma over time and what it does to our neural circuitry is so important. But where this truly makes it 
current events is, you know, we're talking right now on uh, Thursday night. Um, this show will come out tomorrow on Friday. And Cycling New Zealand is now launch, launching an investigation based on media reports that had serviced back in 2018. So these reports are out in 2018. Nothing was done about them. We have Olivia Podmore's death. And now they're looking back into these reports where there were instances within Cycling New Zealand of bullying, inappropriate personal relationships, as well as dysfunctional culture during that time period when those when those allegations were made. And, you know, to to hear that, my mind immediately goes to exactly what Darren's text is. This isn't an athlete issue. How many organizations are there bullying? How many organizations are there people pushing themselves to the brink? How many organizations are there inappropriate personal relationships? So teeing that up, we've got our guests today. So first is Dr. Rick Rosa, who's the brother of Dr. John Rosa we've had on before. Uh, Dr. Rick uh, lectures on the topic of sports and recovery, uh, does it off of his book that he's written, The Six Pillars of Sports Recovery, uh, postgraduate faculty and board of trustee for, for Northeast College of Health Science. He's an adjunct professor at George Mason University, and he's worked with pro athletes in the NFL, Major League Baseball, UFC, boxing, and was the team doctor with, with several pro cycling teams which will, will really endear him to the next guest I'm gonna introduce. So first, uh, welcome Dr. Rick. If you don't mind me calling you Dr. Rick instead of Dr. Rosa, so I can differentiate you. Can call me you, you want. It's fine, you that, call me Rick, it doesn't bother me. And, 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 and in having Dr. Rick on, as I now introduce the next guest, notice how Dr. Rick has such a rich background in sports. Our next guest is an athlete, is a cyclist, but yet we're gonna talk about this when we hear the stories that are going to be shared, not in the context of athletes and sports alone, but in the context of society as a whole. So Tyler Hamilton became a professional cyclist in 1995. He was with the U.S. Postal Service cycling team, was a teammate of Lance Armstrong uh, during the 1999, 2000, 2001 Tour de France, uh, where Armstrong won the, the general classification. Uh, Tyler was a key asset um, for Armstrong being a great climber as well as a, a time trialist. Um, and he appeared in 2000, 2004 Summer Olympics, 2004 won a gold medal. This is part of his overall story, but probably the thing that brings us the most together, and I'm smiling at Darren as I say this, when we first launched the concept of we're all a little crazy and the hashtag same here movement, Tyler was one of the six original crew that we had together. And, you know, Tyler and I were talking before we got on this episode and he and Tyler said something to me that gave me chills, which is that he said he had chills from us talking. Because when you bond with people in a way where you share your personal experiences, you're bonded forever. It's what Theo says, and, and maybe this is our little way of bringing him into this podcast. Theo says we collect people. That's what our, what our group does. I don't even want to call it an organization. And so Tyler, when we were in that room, if you can remember back to then, it was it was it was a hotel that was not far from the club that we were doing this event that called the DL down in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, and we just started opening up. Amanda Beard is in the room and talking about her own personal experiences, and Anita Nall, the Olympic swimmer, uh, won gold medals at age fifteen, and and you shared with me something that 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 stuck with me as someone who's been through his own mental health challenges and has a difficult time tapping into his feelings to the level I'd like, right? And maybe even sometimes at all. You said, to me, you said to me and you said to everyone in the room, when I was invited based on results that I had in cycling to ring the bell at the New York Stock Exchange, you would think it would be this feeling of I've arrived, I'm being recognized for my accomplishments, and this is one of the greatest achievements and moments of my life. And instead you said it was one of the worst days of your life. Do you remember that? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I remember remember that uh having that conversation and, and, and you probably you remember the event but do you remember also saying it to us in in the room yeah i remember that yeah yeah it was a you know weird time in my life you know i just finished the tour de france on a real on a real high and um but yeah you know i'd i'd been uh just struggling with some kind of deeper down stuff that i kind of been pushing off for a long time and, and you know the tour de france is three grueling weeks in, in july and then then comes august i get back to the states and and uh, all these 
amazing things are happening happening to me but i was you know kind of a, a mess inside it and as uh as one of your podcast guests i think it was that that swimmer samantha she was said, said you know just suffering in silence and, and that was that was me that was me so when, when you say you're suffering in silence right like did you know at the time i think you were saying this was 2003 did you know at the time, like the concept of what mental health even was? Did you know that there are other people that could be going through this? Like, I mean, I know it's ridiculous to think that was only 18 years ago. And we're yeah. going to bring Dr. Rose in a second to kind of give like almost a timeline of how we've been talking about this with athletes and then how we've been talking about with patients generally. But like, did you feel like you're on an, on an island and that there's no one else to talk to about this because yeah. I'm the only one who's suffering this way? Yeah, completely. I was on my own little, in my own little personal prison and, you know, I didn't. I didn't want to talk to anybody about it because it was, you know, you didn't, I was a team leader and really on one of the world's best cycling teams. And, you know, I didn't want to think, want, want anybody to think I was weak, you know, it was, you know, obviously I wasn't thinking the right way, but yeah, it was just, I was embarrassed about it and ashamed. So yeah, I kept it to myself. And and so Dr. Rosa, like you, you hear Tyler say that in 2003, right? You've been practicing for a while. You gave us, yeah. yeah we were joking about Darren's hat being a 19, 1988 Lakers hat. And you're saying you're just graduating high school. So young guys, I, that, I mean that in a loving way. Think back to yeah. 2003, right? Like people yeah. you're working with and then other doctors. What is the understanding of mental health in 2003? So you know it, it, you know it's funny when he was saying that i was thinking of like what was happening behind the scenes on you know on the different professional teams not just in cycling you know this is universal right so and being on the inside and my job is to help and protect most of these guys and help them recover right so when i was developing the concept of recovering for performance and i added the psychological pillar like it wasn't even a thought in my mind to say mental health only because I was afraid of it because of the stigma that it was not just the coaches and stuff, but it, I couldn't get athletes to talk about that, to even get them over to a sports psychologist because the weakness concept, you know, and even today, the first thing they said about Simone Biles was like, oh, you know, Michael Jordan never would have done that. It's like, you know, but he gambled like crazy to cope. He went, he wasn't depressed, but, you know, I've worked behind the scenes with these athletes you know, and I see what goes on, you know, you have mental health isn't just anxiety, depression, it's, you know, some guys womenize, I got, got girls all over the place, and they're married. And I, you know, we see that crazy side. Some guys are drinking, you know, there's so many aspects of it, the mental health piece, that it was like, people, have people decide, people decide in society's sides, what's acceptable coping and what isn't. And they've already exactly. defined, they defined what acceptable is, and they don't realize they're doing it, but they've put it in buckets already. You're right. And that's what it was like. And, you know, I had to be very delicate. I, I got even now, you know, even with all everything that's out there, when I talk about the psychological aspect to athletes and they're like, no, no, I'm good, man. I'm good. You know, it's like, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that, you know, we're just going to monitor your psychological load and I have to go in and talk about it almost like it's not a pathology or it's not a, a problem. Right. It's what load are you taking? Like literally when you train, you have to focus, you know, and I learned so much from working in cycling. Cause like Tyler's just said, I mean, the tour de France, it took three weeks the, the, of physical and mental load. It's just not normal in any scope. And it's, it's just, it compares to no other sport. So that was like a nice crucible to figure and look at this load, but you could take the same thing and compare it to a fortune 500 company CEO. I mean, it's the same load, that load and where we are with it. Like you said, you know, we don't have to talk about the DSM five, but right. It, it's that scale. Right. And I, when I try to talk to athletes or regular patients, cause we have multiple clinics, it's more like, like we need to stop thinking about uh, mental health. Like you think of a disease like cancer, right? I always explain it like nutrition. It's more like nutrition. Every day you need to take food in and do the right thing. And it's it's a very subtle thing to be, you know, healthy from a nutritional standpoint, right? Everyone seems to get that piece. And then you have all these other things that go wrong if you don't take care of yourself, right? Diabetes, heart disease, heart attacks, later. There's there's gonna be a cause for that. If you're not loading your your nutritional intake properly, 
at the end of that, you're going to pay for it. The same thing with mental health, right? If you're not taking care of your mental health and you're, whether you're an athlete or a regular person, it doesn't really matter. You know, um, you're we'll going to pay for it down the road. We'll often compare it to, you know, plaque building in the arteries, right? The way that the yeah, load yeah. builds in the system. And people understand that concept because we teach kids from an early age, jump rope for heart in school, right? And, yeah. and they get that concept. I got to get my heart rate up and I got to eat green leafy vegetables. It's, it's fascinating to hear, you know, how much of a struggle you had going back with Tyler sharing a story in 2003 of, of, and Tyler's got more of a story than just 2003, but that particular story with, with the stock exchange, you know, Darren and I are friendly with a guy named Royce White, who's one of the more colorful characters in sports, um, very outspoken. But Royce was drafted in, in the 2012 draft, right? If we're really talking about the history of people opening up, Royce wanted to talk about this construct, this concept of mental health, right? And not necessarily in, in, in talking about it that I have this thing called anxiety. And he was blacklisted from the league. Like he wasn't allowed to play anymore after he opened up. There was no teams that would take him at that point. And then you, you know, you rewind, you rewind, you fast forward to 2017 and you've got Kevin Love opening up a conversation. And then there's, there's more of, a, of an acceptance of which I still think there's not close to an acceptance. We'll certainly get into that. But Tyler, you know, when, when Dr. Rick talks about that, there's other ways to cope, right? Um, and, and there's gambling and there's sex and there's alcohol. D did you have your go-to at that time? If, if, because if you had no one to talk to about it, what, what are you leaning on? And I'll be, you know, in the spirit of transparency to help you, Tyler, I know this isn't so revealing, but my addiction was work, right? Like, you know, my story enough to be like, I buried my head in work because I love being in professional sports that that kept me away from thinking about all the things I've been through with my brother and my friends passing away at a younger age. You're dealing with this misery where you're not feeling yourself. You think you're the only, only one. What were you turning to? The bike, the bike. I rode my bike like crazy, you know. I heard you speaking with Theo in one of your last podcasts. And, you know, yeah, I think you become at that level, you almost become obsessive, you know. Maybe you do, maybe some of athletes, maybe I deal with some obsessive compulsive disorder. I don't know, but, you know, I was able to focus I think it's on with everyone. I think it's with everyone. I mean, I probably, I was the same way, you know, so I think that's, that's where you just have but, to. But what, but what, what ties it, Darren, you're saying with your reporter, I'm a sports executive, right? I know we're all in sports in some way. Tyler's an athlete. And then where Dr. Rick brings it all together is it's that load. It, it's, it's no matter what you're working on, Darren, if you're staying up till midnight working on getting articles out or getting pieces done with Bob Lee, and I'm working until midnight and beyond because there's people still at the arena and I want to make sure that every fan has a great time so they come back and they renew the next year. And Tyler's saying, I got to get on the bike and cycle more and more and do even better. Dr. Rick, what's that doing to the load in our body? And what are we not working on? You can't, you, you know, you're going to burn all your matches, you know. So if you're, you know, some of these guys, most of the, the cycling world, I mean, these guys are gifted in recovery to begin with. Like you can't get there at the top levels like Tyler was without having a gift in recovery. Like, so they're just able to recover from a workout. Ridiculous. It just doesn't make sense. Like, you know, even to other sports. Okay. Then there's, but there's still the psychological aspects of it, that, that constant load, something's going to give, it could be a physical injury that you might get if you're overtraining, but people forget you can overtrain and then have a psychological piece because everybody's got their story. Everybody's got their background and you might've been fine with it or completely avoiding it, but then you throw the load of an athlete, the load of an executive, uh, and that puts, that's enough to put you, you know, over the edge. And the other thing, you know, one of the first few classes that I, when I teach about recovery, we talk about stress, right? Cause we talk about the physical stress, but the psychological piece that is everyone just assumes stress is like bad, right? But when Tyler was talking and he rang that bell and he was telling his story, I was thinking, you know, the pressure that must've been on him at that time, because he at that moment he was gonna he was seen as like everyone was looking for the next lance like who's gonna take the American mantle, and you know he breaks his his shoulder it was like your scapula right and you kept riding and you know I mean press was all over him in Europe for that you know he was like the next American guy and I, was that the same year that you rang the bell 
at the yeah. stock exchange. Same here. Yeah. So, I mean, like that sounds like a high and awesome and you're doing all this cool stuff, but it's still stress to your body. It's still a load. It's still something that you're pouring in that you got to deal with. Right. It's not passive. It's not, you know, it's not always great to just be at the top. Awesome. These, these conversations, stuff. Dr. Rick, these conversations build off of each other. Right. And so as you're talking where my mind goes to, you're given Tyler's example of how ringing the bell is still stress, even though it's an exciting moment. How many times have I heard, just from a peer-to-peer -peer standpoint, from people who've called me and said, I'm getting married in three days and I can't feel anything, I'm numb right now. I, I, I just got a new job and I'm moving to a new market and it's not sinking in. Um, or I, I know I should be enjoying this, but I'm not enjoying this for some reason. Eric, you wrote about how you were, you were laying in a bed and your, your brain wasn't functioning. I'm not to that level right now, but I feel almost comatose, even though there's all these great things happening in my life, right? And, and I think we make these distinctions in our mind, like this is a positive thing. This is a negative thing. I'm not even talking about like stress per se, but like we categorize events in our life as either positive or negative. And then the assumption is because positive quote things are happening, we should just feel great about them. And, and we're not taking into consideration how much when, when something good happens, it's still something new. And it still changes the system in a way where we, okay, compared to what we were doing before, we're now doing this, right? And, and how much that, that, that weighs on people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's not just funerals that you should be asking your patients about, right? It's, did you get married, you know? Um, did you have a baby? You know, these are positive things, but they're still adding to the load and winning you know, you, Simone Biles, um, you know, like how could she possibly be, you know, have anything going on, right? She's the greatest gymnast of all time, right? We're not supposed to, you know. So I think these things that are coming up, I mean, like I think you said earlier or on a previous podcast that I started, just tried to get a feel for your show. It was just like, you know, that, that you know, it's been around. Like this isn't, it's not that like it's suddenly happening. I love that. Like what's wrong with all the athletes now? Or how come all these athletes are so mentally weak, you know? And I'm like, you know, it just, you have no idea. You know, I, I couldn't stop yelling at people that were making comments about Simone's um, piece because everyone was talking about her weakness. I was like, you have no idea. You've never been inside of any of these camps. You don't know the pressure the layers of pressure, right? I mean, your teammates is one layer, then it's the organization, then it's your agent, your family, your spouse. I mean, it just goes on. And that's and true. all the things within those layers, you know, we, we shared in Samantha's um, podcast episode that playing for representing your, your, your team, Team USA Gymnastics, and they'd done you wrong in the way that they'd handled the Larry Nasser situation and how yeah. much that adds to everything it's, ama it's amazing to me no like <laughs> on twitter when people were saying usa gymnastics should should tell simone she she needs to show up and no like they were the they were the ones who are part of the trauma they yep. messed this up like it, you know and for me although i think this is sometimes an unfortunate and i don't want to uh you know say this without I, I don't know how to say it but that it happened to Simone during the Olympics is a gift to society because it just shows that because you are mentally strong or appear to be in one moment doesn't mean that you're mentally strong for life. And it seems so simple to say that, but like people legit could not understand how it would be possible that Simone Biles, who previously had apparently shown the most mental fortitude and then all of a sudden couldn't do it at the height no when your brain when your That's brain doesn't when your brain doesn't let you and this is where the overload that dr rick is talking about you know trumps any type of physical injury you have and this is no disrespect to what's happened in other sports. I think there's two interesting factors when it comes to sports, but then we could talk about how we try to push ourselves over obstacles in society generally. The first is when it's physical, you can run on a broken ankle or a twisted ankle. You can get it taped up and it's gonna hurt like hell, 
but there's a chance that you push through that pain, you can get through that pain. When the connection between the brain and the body is off, there's certain things you cannot push yourself to do. Like the brain, I remember sitting in a car as my family went to go inside a house and my dad was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, my brain's not telling me to get up. And I'm almost like observing my own actions at this point. But like, when you haven't been to that level of disconnect, it's hard to fully understand that. And so, so it was a great, it's a great segue for what both Darren and you, Dr. Rick were saying, Tyler, like, you shared, you know, very intensely what it felt like at the stock exchange, and you shared that you use cycling as an escape. But but we're learning that sometimes that escape almost just exacerbates the issue further. So, did you ever notice times early on in this, you know, whether it's just before two thousand three, just after two thousand three, where during your training or even during one of the events where you're like my brain is almost telling me to stop right now, even though it's what I know and what I want to, I got, I feel like I need to push myself through because I get this dopamine hit that I enjoy cycling. Something's not right here where the system's not working correctly. Well, I mean, I did want to stop a lot because, you know, cycling was just all about suffering. <laughs> cycling generally, yeah. Sometimes I was, I, I was hoping secretly that my, my bike would explode and I could just skid to a stop and take, take a rest. Uh, but yeah, you know, I had days where just off days where, yeah, it just felt like, you know, you're out kind of going through the motions, but didn't want to be there. Didn't want to be there. I'd say, I would say more in training than r- the racing. The racing was kind of like, okay, you know, this is what I get paid to do. So I got to yep. bury, bury those feelings deeper inside and just get out and, you know, get out and do it. And, and by the way, Tyler, what, what you're sharing well, you're sharing, and, and I'm sorry to interrupt you there, only because I think it's such an interesting parallel to the to the Simone thing that we were talking about in the last episode is, I was saying in a sport like basketball, that was my sport, if my mental health is off, as much as it feels weird to be disassociated on the court and be like, I'm watching myself play from up above, this feels really strange, or I don't feel like I'm in my body, or I, I can't anticipate and be in the moment and make the play. If, if I want to go after a rebound, I can push myself and go after a rebound, even when my brain is not even close to in the right place, which which doctors would probably tell me I'm out of my mind for pushing myself. But but I was able to do that in in gymnastics. When you're flipping through the air and you have no spatial orientation whatsoever and your motor skills are completely off, you can't do that. It sounds like from what you're saying, Tyler, I'm no cyclist. Right. But even in the moments of being off. Because you're on a bike, because it's about pushing in the same motion, it's probably a different comparison to, say, something like gymnastics, where someone's flipping through the air and having to land on ridiculous four-inch beams at the same time. Is that, is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, cycling, you know, it's an endurance sport. You know, you're out, you know, you're racing in the Tour de France every day from four to seven hours. So it's a long, drawn-out period where you're just out there kind of chugging along. And, and the reason I bring that up, Tyler, is, and, 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 you know, Dr. Rose, I'd love for you to chime in on this, but Darren, even from a personal life experience, maybe this is what led to the episode that you had when you were in Canada covering the Olympics, is I wanted to shit, not, Tyler, hopefully you don't think like I was talking down. The reason I shared basketball also is not to say that, you know, cycling's an easier sport than Olympics or basketball's an easier sport than Olympics and gymnastics or basketball's an easier sport, just more that in in the construct of what we as human beings have the ability to push ourselves through there's certain activities that we can do that even when this isn't working correctly because from an ability standpoint we're able to just put our nose to the ground and keep grinding and keep grinding and keep grinding we put ourselves into a worse place and, and I want people to know that because, because Darren said it was the greatest gift that we saw what happened to Simone on an Olympic stage, and it was. And also, Darren, another piece of that is that we saw her able to rehab and come back for the last event so that people could see the scale that Dr. Rose is talking about, that we talk about a lot, that this the, the, what happens to the neurobiology and how it can change over time. You're not in this fixed state called mentally ill where you can't get out of it, and now you never can get back into it. But, but, I mean, but it, Darren, was, it, was all, yeah. by the way, it was also a gift that she was doing gymnastics because, I think so. because, because, because of the difficulty of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you, you can't be on that balance beam and not be right. completely lucid. Now, I ask you and I ask anyone listening tonight, how many times has a swimmer 
who is able to get through diving into the pool, making the turn and hitting the wall, but comes in sixth when everything looked like that person was going to come in first or second. How many times have we not known at any point? It is never shared. How many times have we not known that an athlete is going some going through something and because their sport isn't uniquely dangerous, we don't ever know. You nailed it. Dude, yep. how many well people said. were comparing how many people were comparing the Tom Brady, you know, era of of him dominating football and saying if Tom Brady was dealing with mental health, he never would have pulled himself out of a game. Um games where we've seen Tom Brady throw interceptions. How do we know? That wasn't mental health related. Again, back to the spatial orientation. But a sport like football where you can plant your feet and throw at someone, the level of – people are going to kill me for saying this in football. But, look, the technical nature of throwing a spiral that you've been doing is a lot different than the technical nature of flipping and landing on a four-inch beam, right? And so when we compare, I think you're right, Darren. I think it was unique that it happened on Olympic stage and it happened in the sport of gymnastics because it opened up so many people's eyes to all the factors that go into this. Um, you know, Tyler, thinking, thinking back to your experience again and how you continue to push through, where do you end up reach, reaching this breaking point where you decide, like, this is stuff I got to work on? Um, you know, the first time for me when I was kind of presented to me, like, right to my face, was it was the end of that year, the 03, the 03 season. Uh, yeah, I had the, on paper, my best season of my career. And, uh, but it was, uh, I was trying, I was back home in the States, you know, we race over in Europe all year long. So I was back, back in Boston at the time. And, um, I was trying to train for another month before I took a little break from cycling, um, in the off season. And, uh, I remember like getting ready, getting all my clothes on, getting ready to go out and train there in Massachusetts. And, and I couldn't, and I remember lying down on the couch and just couldn't get, couldn't, wasn't able to get up. And it was like that, this heavy, heavy blanket. And, um, yeah, that's when I realized that, you know, something was going on, something was going on. And I was encouraged, you know, my wife at the time, she, she noticed this and she said, Hey, you know, maybe you're suffering with something. Maybe you're dealing with some depression. So, uh, you know, luckily for me, I had, you know, good family support system. And I had a great doctor in Boston that I met with, Dr. Welch, and it was, you know, it was a game changer for me. Obviously, there was plenty more things to to tackle in my life, but um, that for me, when I first addressed it, it was like, you know, I kind of put a name to it, a name to that feeling, and was able to make some, you know, big strides, you know, through talk therapy and through medication. Yeah, yeah. And then, so, 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 and then over time, developing more tools to use and understanding. Right. Oh, this, when I feel like this, it's just this, you know, maybe get out for a walk or maybe, you know, get some more rest tonight or, you know, drink a little bit more water or whatever. I don't know. Now I feel like a veteran, you know. A, um, that a vet. was that Tyler. That's what you and I were, you know, when we were discussing the Olivia Podmore situation, I was saying you'd be the perfect guest for this coming week because it's this mixture of current event and, and mental health. You shared back with me, talk about another thing that gave chills. You shared back with me like Eric. I've been through so much now. I wish I had this level of experience when I was younger because stuff comes at me now and I know how to handle it and not freak out about it, right? Not allow what our anxious brains do, which is this is wrong with me. So then this must be the next outcome. And then I'm not going to be able to compete in this thing. And then my life is going to turn for the worse. And then I'm, I'm going to be living out in the street and everything's going to be terrible, right? I'm obviously giving a perverse example. But, but Dr. Rose, as you're hearing Tyler describe, because, because he shared with me when we met that first week um, in, in the end of 2017, his, his also his description of a lead blanket. And it was something that I'm sure you've heard plenty of times, whether people call it having a boulder on you and not being able to get up out of bed or whatever it is. And Tyler shared, you know, that, that you know, family members or other practitioners had said suffering with this thing called depression, right? Is, is there... From, from a technical perspective, and I, and I think I'm saying something that Tyler would totally agree with. We just, we didn't address this before. Do you sometimes hear that and say, some might describe it as depression because it checks the box on what the DSM-5 calls depression, but it's also this thing called 
overwork and overload and going to the max to a certain point where it represents in this similar way, but we pathologize things very quickly. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not trained psychiatrist or psychologist, so I'm not geared towards looking at it always in that direction. Like, so for me and what I'm doing is it's more about, all right, my job is to help this guy or gal. Like I got to figure this out. Right. So I don't need to place anything in a box. You know, I might send them to somebody that might then do that and, and take care of that. But I'm looking at load, I'm looking at managing load and I'm using psychological questionnaires to see where the athlete is because they're not going to communicate to him, you know. And sure, now when I, I kind of could see stuff and I'll ask questions because I'm I'm 51 now, but when I started this, I was a lot younger and I don't I didn't have as much experience. So using like these questionnaires to the athletes and making them fill it out, they don't look at it like I'm filling out an anxiety, stress, or psych, you know, mental state. I sell it to them like look, this is going to tell me what your load is. Like, that's a nice, easy way for me to get the job done. And then I literally, they, they're filling it out and it's scoring and I'm measuring that with biometrics and I'm trying to see well, how much load is in this professional athlete. Are they, are they border, you know, where are we with this, you know? And then I also try to get them to understand, like, you know, from both the physical and the mental, where you are, like the, you know, awareness of state of being is one of the, my pillars and, and it's a huge piece, you know, whether they talk to, you know, and then obviously if it's needed, we get them to a, a sports psychologist um, making referrals for someone to help them and work them through it. But a lot of this stuff, like you said, like it, it's not clinical, you know, like I, I've never been diagnosed with anything, you know, but I was just listening to your last podcast about dyslexia and I was laughing, not laughing, but I was like, oh my God, this is me. Because when I was a kid, in the set in the seventies, they labeled me as below level because I was dyslexic and no one knew what the hell that was back then. And, um, they labeled me in below, I was below level with these poor kids. Most of the kids that were in there were also socioeconomic kids that just came from poor families, drug addict families. And then there's me and all my best friends are like the smartest kids in the class. They couldn't figure out what the hell was wrong with me. So yeah, I mean, I was never diagnosed or anything, but I really didn't like myself. I thought I was stupid my entire childhood until high school. And it was the, the luckiest, cause you're talking 1984. It was the first time I heard the word dyslexia. I never even heard of it before. And I was sent to like, I just got lucky. It was like lucky of where I was. I was in Bergen County, New Jersey. There happened to be a hospital that was testing for it. My high school teacher read an article about it, sent me there and they gave me the label of you think having a label like dyslexia was a bad thing. No, I was like, Oh, I'm not an idiot. You know? So I actually did never felt good about myself until high school. Like I thought I was an idiot, you know? And then it took me to get through high school, even college to actually believe I was really smart. Like I, you know, cause I had that in me that I'm stupid. I'm stupid. I'm stupid. And even now at 51, all these different things I've accomplished, I've written a book, like I'm, it's always in the back of my, my mind. Like, you know, what does this guy think I'm stupid? You know, or I'm trying constantly to prove that I'm smart, you know, and that is driven me. And there's moments of time where I haven't had happy days, you know, and I, I don't know why, you know, and it all probably comes down to those, you know, Sunday school teachers that made an example of me. Look, this is the kid from public school. He can't even read. Watch. I mean, literally, that's what they did to me back but, then. But but Dr. Rick, like, you know, when you look at Tyler's case and you're comparing it to your own, right, where Tyler had the lead blanket and where you've had your periods, let's call yeah. them, of not being able to get out of bed or feeling cognitive fatigue or brain fog. And this is where I'll bring Darren in because you know, funny, Darren, I don't always get to ask questions of each other back and forth. But like, Darren, you probably I know you've shared your own story, but you see people in the work world all the time. You interview CEOs all the time. You interview people who work in fast paced industries. You see these people with what Dr. Rick is calling like this extra load that and 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 what is the universality of them is they weren't picked in a gym class in third grade. They were told, like Dr. Rick was, you're dumb, right? Or in Tyler's case, I'm sure there's something from your childhood we could bring up. In my case, I was put in what was called K-1, which was experimental kindergartners and first graders because we weren't well-behaved in, of all things, nursery school. So they decided we weren't you know, strong enough students to be in a kindergarten and a first grade class by ourselves, split up, right? And so 
like this piece of this concept of, of load over time is an accumulation. And, and we think of it in the context of, well, Simone's dealing with a lot of pressure of the Olympics. No, Simone is dealing with the pressure of all the things that have happened that she might not have worked on up until that point or might have worked on, but it's still very hard to completely clean the system. So you got to keep continuing to work on it. And I think that's the, 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 the bow that ties it all together that we're trying to share here. I mean, Darren, again, without revealing. I, I do, I do like, I do like, you know, as a media member, I'm always fascinated at how the story is told. And so for a Harvard guy, who's a really smart guy, when he's a CEO, it's going to be like Harvard CEO. Right. But like, you really don't hear, and this is, um, uh, maybe this is the first time I'm revealing this publicly, but I'm very close with Mike Rapoli, who uh, is about to become, uh, I think, the third American to build two businesses from zero to five billion. And uh, D student at St. John's, five years to get through. Uh, he jokes that if uh, his high school yearbook had a least likely to succeed, he'd be it. Uh, and you, you're never going to, because Mike didn't go to Harvard, you're never going to hear the the side that we just said, like the the whole, like when you're younger and you're labeling. But you do, you do label smart people and go after and tell the story after that. But even, I would guarantee you that if you look at the billionaires today, self-made billionaires, that there are more people who were labeled dumb than labeled smart when they were younger. And how much of that is not taught, this is why we discussed in, in social emotional learning in the last episode, how much of that is not taught in school? Like we learn about what depression, anxiety, PTSD is in a lot of these. We even learn things like ACE, right? Adverse childhood experiences or something like that. But we, like Dr. Rosa, in, in ACE studies, one of the, the check the boxes would not be, was told by friends he's dumb. It's right. lost a parent, you know, at a young age. It's, you know, uh, a suicide of a friend. It's divorce of parents, right? And and I think of that and I'm like, we're missing the boat so much, right? And and, and Tyler, like you, you had your career and we've shared a lot. I want you to go into a little bit more with cycling, but then after cycling's over, talk a little bit about, if you don't mind, you're, you're working in the corporate world right now, right? I, I don't know a better way to describe that, but you're, you're working in the finance world right now. Yeah, you know, I work for a money manager now in, in Denver um, called the Black Swift Group. Yeah, it's an awesome group of people. I'm on the business development side of things. Uh, yeah, I've been in, doing this for about two years now, so it's kind of a career change for me. You know, I studied economics back in college, and then uh, then cycling got in the way. And after when my career ended, I you know I stumbled around doing different jobs. You know, I tried real estate, I did some public speaking, and then this opportunity came about and yeah, it's been uh, fantastic, you know, helping people in a different kind of way. Um, but yeah, you know, this, you still run into plenty of challenges. I mean, I might, like I was saying before, I've, I feel like I have a lot more tools in my toolbox to like, you know, deal with challenging times. Um, but yeah, you know, you still have bad days and stuff like that. You know, as, as Theo was saying on one of your podcasts, you know, you just keep, keep getting up every day and, you know, putting one foot in front of the other. And, you know, some days will be, some days will be great. Some days will be good. Some days won't will be not so good. But um, but, but yeah, do you notice? Not, I know I know we were you know, and some people in this space get mad when terms like OCD get thrown around, even though they're being used in loose ways to describe being obsessive about doing things. Right? Uh, you know, I was just in Illinois doing a presentation, and there was a basketball court with the with the with the group that we were working with, and I got out there and I started shooting, and I didn't want to stop because I haven't shot hoops in a while and until i made a certain percentage even though i haven't played in i don't know how long like i'm I, and then i'm thinking to myself eric this is the same pattern that you get in when it comes to work like you keep going at it until it gets right like at a certain point you have to put the ball down and you got to do something for yourself so you know when you describe tyler that when you were on your bike your way of getting away from things was to get on the bike and get on the bike more do you notice in your job now sometimes, and, and if the answer is you've learned from it and, and no, not anymore, that's cool too, but do you ever notice yourself getting in some of the same patterns? Like, okay, I have an economics degree and I enjoy this. I'm finding myself grinding more than usual and that's a similar pattern to what I did when I was biking. 
I mean, I feel lucky. I've learned a lot. I mean, I've been through, you know, some tough times in my life. So I, I do recognize now, like, it's all about balance. It's all about balance. You know, whether it's even just, you know, now I ride my bike maybe once, twice a week at that. You know, I hike, I do some jogging, it's yoga, you know. I, I try, you know, maybe I do have that OCD, you know, gene in me, but I try to kind of keep it at bay and, and work as well. You know, I, you know, I work hard, I, you know, I stay focused, but I also, you got to put that to bed a little bit and, you know, do other things and, and, you know, focus on your family, you know, be being active, super, super important, you know, health, healthy diet, very, very important. Getting enough, getting enough rest. So important. So important. And when the balance so, is so, off, so, eventually, when the balance is off, eventually it catches up with you. And so, and so you, in one you've, learned, you, you've learned from almost the f interesting analogy or metaphor, falling off the bike enough times that you don't want to fall off the bike in what you're doing in, in your work life right now, right? In, 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 in the corporate world. And, and, you know, Rick, when you're working with, athletes a lot of your who, who the people are that you work with do you do you sometimes have to show them life patterns of what they're doing not just related to the sport but what they're doing outside of the sport as well for that for it to sink into them yeah i have like one of the categories is is play right and i remember when i first wrote, wrote the book and people were con and i lectured on it people were like like what are you talking about like so the whole concept of play is like, how do you deal with your family and friends? Like, what are you doing that has got nothing to do with, and you could apply this same kind of theory to anyone, right? What are you doing that's got nothing to do with being on the bike, right? Like, are you taking enough time in your seven day block to, to download, so to speak, to have nothing associated with it? Like, are you doing that? Are you disassociating from that? Because most, like, like I think Darren said, you know, I think everybody in this space that I'm looking at right now has call it whatever you want, you know, hyper-focused, whatever you want to call it. You have to kind of have that to, to get stuff done, right? To stay and train and to do whatever it is. I think everybody has that. Not everyone. Of course, there's some athletes that they just pick up whatever apparatus and you're like, that's not fair, right? <laughs> but Sean Kemp. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think it's like endurance sports it is a little different. I definitely working with all these different athletes, the especially cyclists. And I talk about they're just a unique athlete. They really are totally different than any other sport. You know, like there's similarities in all the ball sports, right? Like you can kind of see certain things, but like they're just a different animal. Like they really, and I, I don't mean that in a negative way, but like people talk about toughness, and I'm like, you guys have no idea. Like you know, I like how much they work throughout the day of each day. Like they're in pain, some form of pain and, you know, discomfort, you know, that they've become accustomed to and how long that period of time is for each day. Any other athlete would lose their mind. It's just different, right? It's just different. Each, um, each athlete's so, so different, you know? So, so, da so Darren, hearing that, right. I, I think of you and the balance in your life because People who look at your public life, they see that you're tweeting nonstop. That's what they think. They're like, Darren figured out this Twitter thing. He built a brand for himself. He was one of the first guys to think of sports and business together. He got on Twitter at the right time. He was with ESPN, and he's nonstop doing that. And then I know you personally, and we talk, or you're texting me, and I see you chasing around your kids all the time. And you're always spending time with your twin boys and older girl. And do you think without even realizing it, you, the play that Dr. Rick is talking about, and I'm kind of laughing to myself when I say this, because I know you say how, how much work it is with your kids, but do you sometimes think that like your time with your family in between all these tweets that you're constantly doing in between these insider calls that you're getting on how to break stories and stuff like that is part of what your play is? I think things I think things have changed over time. Um, you know, I think that the be it, it's like being with my kids. I used to say that vacation is the worst time for me. I hate vacation because because my mind is not good at rest. And 
so what I had to do is I realized that the f- I couldn't just play with my kids. I had to play with my kids fiercely and I had to play games with my kids. And the deeper I got, the 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 more satisfying it was that it was on the same speed. Right. So which is funny because you think like, oh, there's Darren. He's getting lost in his world. No, 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 no. I'm actually pushing myself into my world by making up these games and getting deep because I found that if I just stood there and watched or didn't get in deep, my mind wouldn't do anything. And that's why weekends would suck or vacation would suck. So it's kind of it's kind of interesting that I had to learn, I had to teach my mind how to, you know, keep going at the pace that it needs to go. I'm at. laughing because it's almost like you had to you had to learn your own form of CBT for play. Like yeah, like exactly. don't no, it's, like it's, it's, stop it's, the it's thought right. of of having terrible thoughts while my brain is inactive to then replace the thought with it being active with my kids, which is my form of play that gets me away from being too active when yeah. I'm tweeting too much. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, it's, it's, it's very complex, but I, I, I think my brain is happy at a certain speed and I just have to create scenarios even when I'm at play to make it re- have that, you know, keep that speed going. And, and for you, I'm sure that load that Dr. Rick talks about, you know, for some of us, we need to zen out completely, and that's the only way the load you know, I have goes never, away. I have never, di- I have never disbanded from the world, or you know, basically moved away from the world since social media started for a day, well, fully. You, so we got to take you on a uh, on like a yoga or qigong retreat one day. People, and- people would think I'm dead. but but tyler like now you know and bringing a full circle on your story right is you know the 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 triumphs the tribulations with with being a cyclist but now what you're doing in the work world and finding that balance and looking back on how much you've picked up and how much more rewarding it is you kind of look at it the way that darren does which is i figured out not the answer right because i don't think any of us have what the answer is and i think we're all works in progress and we're we're, you know there are days that just suck right there's no other way to describe they suck sometimes but do you look look at it and say kind of like what darren figured out with his kids i've figured out my balance plan you know that 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 allows me to structure my days in such a way that I'm not going to get to the point where I was when I was cycling. And and is and in some way, is that more rewarding right now than even cycling was, as strange as that might sound to people who've seen all your rewards? Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely a work in progress, for sure, you know. But no, I do I do feel like I've learned a lot. And I do, I, I feel, yeah, a lot more grounded and a lot more, like, confident in, in, in dealing with it, you know, when depression does rear its ugly head. Yeah, I feel, I feel ready. You know, one thing I didn't speak about was, was meditation that helped me a lot. I dove right into it. I did like a probably like five, six years ago. I did like a 10 day silent meditation retreat, just totally like cold turkey, just dove into it, went away for this. And it was just um, um, amazing when you slow it all down and stop thinking just for a few seconds at a time. It can, it's, uh, it's amazing. I don't really meditate. I wouldn't say a lot now, but here and there I'll, I'll sit down and just take a few deep breaths, you know, during the, either when times are good or when times are bad, just taking a few deep breaths, closing your eyes and, 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 and um, taking a few steps back. Yeah. You know, beneath it all, I know this for a fact, but beneath it all, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of beauty, but we get caught up in day to day. In our minds, our minds sometimes are our worst, our worst nightmare. Well, I think that, you know, the, the nice way to kind of to bring this all together now is because I didn't know that, you know, in, in hearing from from Dr. Rick and Tyler that it would it would spur me to start asking Darren questions about his life just because I saw so many either similarities or, or dissimilar things. But but the comparisons are great. So, you know, in closing for Dr. Rick, you're hearing the way in which like a Tyler and, and, a, and a Darren need to get away from it all so the load is 
you know, is less, but do it in very different ways. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of the things we talk about in my class, because I'm like a clinician in there. And most of the classes are taught by PhDs, which have a very rigid kind of outlook on research and and views. And I'm just so opposite of it because I'm dealing in a world where I got to do something now. Like they don't want to hear about it, like come up with something here. So if, if um, like, so meditation we use, you know, so one of the pillars is sleep, right? And it includes meditation naps and, you know, the meditation going back to like 2003, when I would talk about that, everyone's like, oh, yoga, like it had this like connotation with athletes. No one wanted to do it. Like, nah, 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 I'm good. I'm good. So, you know, we, we tr- and even now it's like that. So now we just try to get them to do like an app or there's, there's devices like the muse where, you know, because it's a techie thing and they hear, the more they hear birds sing is the more they're, you know, not having enough uh, brain at you decrease your brain activity. Like as long as I can get them in that space, whatever that is, it doesn't matter. Like there's no, there's this, this is so, we know so much about the brain It's so complex. And then you add this layer of mental health. It's so difficult. Right. And in the real world, we need like everything. So whatever those things are, you know, we try to, whether it's nutrition or it's whatever habit that you can compartmentalize to get your activity. Cause when I was listening to Darren, I was like, yeah, I do that too. Like I love the beach, you know, I love the beach, but when I get to the beach, you know, I get, I set everything up and I love the ocean. I love being there. And I'm, I'm like, this is awesome. And then I'm mad at myself because I can't freaking relax enough to enjoy it. I, I get up and I got to look for shells. Like, you know, like what's wrong with me? Just sit down like some of these other people and just sit there under the umbrella and enjoy the beautiful ocean, you know? But I have that, like, I got to force myself to, you know, now my kids are older, but with the kids, I would sometimes feel guilty. Like I'm not playing as much as this dad over here with my kids at this moment, you know, and I'm, you know, I would construct the force myself in and I would dive in, you know, like, all right, let's build a sandcastle, you know, or whatever that project is. So I was related. I can definitely relate to, to that feeling. And now I'm on a different path where my kids are older. Um, at a, a, I'm at a stage where I'm trying not to get my hands into too many things. You know, that's what I'm trying to limit everything. That's why we were just laughing. My brother, John's always drag, you know, and he's got the same problem. So and I'm always like, it's gotta be related to what I have a passion for, please. You know, don't pull me into, you know, the stuff unless it's relatable, you know, because I don't want to because I'm just like you guys, you know, I mean, we're all in this. We all have our moments. Um, I mean, there's days and I don't have a history of mental health issues that I'll just tell Dina, my wife, I'll just tell her, yeah, I'm not happy today. I don't know why I just I have. She's like, why? You know, I'm like, I don't really know. I can't really tell you why. I'm just not having a great day. But no one knows except my wife. Uh, my patients think I'm the jovial clown boy, you know, clinician that's trying to make them laugh. Right. But I, when I get home, I'm just like, yeah, you know, how are you doing? I'm like, I have no idea why I feel like this. And I don't have any history. You know, I have a great family, except for, you know, when I was a kid, uh, what I had just shared with you. So, I mean, I think uh, I like the app, too, when I was researching the show that you guys had. I'm like, man, I'm going to use this for some of the athletes because you know, what's the hardest thing to get athletes to develop and monitor or even patients, regular patients, is to engage and do these little things. And all the mental health stuff is sometimes overly developed and engaged that they don't want to actually do it. You know, you nailed it, man. And 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 to wrap this all up, look, you got a doctor and doctor, Dr. Rick, you've got a cyclist. OK, turned. I'm going to call you uh, uh business development uh, extraordinaire, Tyler. You've got a <laughs> a, a, a sports reporter, um, a reporter extraordinaire in general, and then a sports executive. And the four of us are together talking about a cyclist story from New Zealand because of the similarities of an overload of what we've all dealt with, regardless of what the career or life stuff is that we've been through. And that's the understanding we as a society need to have with respect to mental health. Rick talked about this at the beginning and not that it's mental health is this separate thing like cancer is this disorder. No, it's part of the scale and this continuum that we're all on. So 
on behalf of Darren, uh, co-host again, we'll, um, we'll, we'll, we'll say a hello for, for Theo. And um, it's been Dr. Rick Rosa and then pro cyclist uh, Tyler Hamilton. We will see you next week on We're All a Little Crazy. You just heard We're All a Little Crazy, brought to you by the hashtag Same Here Global Mental Health Movement and the Hockey Podcast Network.